Happy New Year and welcome to Season 2 of the Sports CDP Crash Course podcast. Due to popular demand, we are bringing you more interviews from industry experts, thought leaders and women in sports. So without further ado, let's meet our guests. Our next guest is a sports and media leader with over 20 years of expertise. Nick Meacham is the CEO of Sports Pro Media, a publisher, advisory and events business driving the digital transformation of global sports. Nick is also the host of the Streamtime podcast and a senior independent director of the British Volleyball Federation, among many other things. Today, I sit down with Nick to discuss his phenomenal success in the sports industry and also to get insights into sports industry trends and so much more. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Lorraine. And gosh, hearing that I've got 20 years experience, which I know is is factually true, really makes me feel old. So uh, thanks for reminding me how long I've been doing this for. <laughs> I think that age is like... Um, but in, in my country, for example, in Botswana, being older is such a privilege. It's a thing that people wear with pride. And like my mom's only 51 or something like that. And she's always like, I'm old. And she just wears it with so much pride. I think once you get over the fact that it's you're getting older and realize that it is an asset to experience things and, and to lo- take those experiences and learn from them, I think it does. You can learn to accept it a little bit easier. But uh, I have picks and troughs as my birthday's coming closer that I start reminding myself that oh age is uh, moving quicker or oh, the years are moving quicker than i um than i can re- remember from my my younger years so uh anyway good good to be with you um so before we begin we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker are you ready for an icebreaker sure born ready what's your favorite quote expression or motto and why is it your favorite i say i'm born ready but i had another one lined up and i have completely forgotten what it was but i have a couple of others in my back pocket ready to go um, one that I uh, look at, which can work across a few different uh, scenarios, is um, my mum used to tell this to me growing up, and that was, "Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are." And I think that does say a lot. I've got a couple of kids, and makes me think about you know the, the type of environment you give them. But equally, I think in business and in society and in life, as you get older, it still reigns true, right? That. Whoever you are around, whether it's who companies you work with, the colleagues you have, et cetera, that says a lot about the person you are or want to be. So I find that's a, a motto that I, I keep thinking about. Uh, another one, which is a little bit different, um, but I, I kind of remind myself of this. Again, another one I, I got when I was a kid is tomorrow, tomorrow, not today. That's what the lazy man says is uh, basically another one to remind myself that I'm, if I'm leaving things to get done, crack into gear and get it done because... Lazy people will always say, leave it for another day. I'm stuck on the on the one about um, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Because I've always kind of struggled with that. I'm not going to lie. Um, sort of trying to apply it to, to me and sort of looking outside and being like, what is, what is this reflecting about me? Because a lot of people are quite ambitious. So then if you are surrounded by people who aren't necessarily where you want to go or what you have for the vision for your for your future and that kind of stuff then it's a bit like hmm what is my what is my current uh circle saying about me yeah i think well i think the more the way i look at it is it's more conceptual right so maybe you're in an environment that isn't best serving who you are it might be a good environment still but if you are also if you are really ambitious and people are around you aren't aren't ambitious at all 
then is that going to foster the best environment for you to see out your ambitions? And if it's not, then you should at least be aspiring to be around people who are like the person you want to be or are, um, so they can really foster the environment to, to give you the best chances of success around your own goals. Mm. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a, it depends on your scenario situation. I think it's more of an, as much as an aspirational thing as, as, uh, as what it is now, because it doesn't mean that, well, this is your friend group now, then that's it. You know, that there's no, nothing else that you can do about it. More, it's like, if you have a situation where you think, okay, maybe I'm not getting the most out of this. It's time for me to do something about that. So I have the environment, the work, the, the group of people around me or the situation that, that is getting me closer to where I want to be. I guess it's about becoming more intentional with what you want um, is what I'm, what I'm hearing from you. And speaking of sports pro media as well, and what a huge 12 year journey you've had, you know, um, can you tell us about how it all began and where you are now with sports pro? Sure. Well, I, I came to the UK about 13 years ago from Australia and, um, really struggled actually to get work at the time. I was previously in publishing and in, in the sports events space in Australia. I moved over and could barely get any work. I think the only my first job in the, the UK was a, a minimum uh, minimum wage, six pound an hour, uh, running, running a Portuguese bar in South London. But then I got a chance eventually to get into the media space and quickly into the sports pro. And at the time when I joined sports pro was I think it was less than 12 months into its existence, um, so very early stages. And I came into to their commercial team basically to help them uh, or to work in advertising sales or commercial sales. I'd done some of that in Australia, so it wasn't too big a step for me. And also had a sports a degree in sports management and events management and um, had worked in both sports and, and media. So it was a nice fit. Uh, when I joined, it was a magazine business. Um, it didn't really have much of a digital footprint uh, or platform at that time. Um, so the the role was pretty basic ad sales at the time. It was and it was a tough graft. You know, it would be nine out of ten people wouldn't want to talk to you, uh, and it was a, a really tough, tough going sort of job working in the ad sales world. In any experience that I've heard of, of those years, particularly after things like the financial crisis where money was tightening up. So anyway, I'm, I'm aging myself a lot here again. But um, that's when I joined. I got into the role pretty quickly, was fairly successful in that sales role. And one thing led to another and took over some management responsibilities pretty quickly. So I took over the commercial director role, went from sales exec to commercial director pretty quickly, I think 12, 18 months. And I was actually going to have to leave the country because I was didn't have the right visa. I was only on a two-year visa. But the company was able to sponsor me. It was the first time they'd sponsored anyone. And that was in the whole parent company. And equally, it was really complicated back then. It's a lot easier now, but it wasn't. It wasn't back then, and it cost a lot of money. But luckily, they they sponsored me to to stay in the country uh, and to work for the business. And I've been working for them kind of ever since. And and took over running the company. I think about a year after taking the commercial director role, and sort of we've been growing that business from being a print first business to uh, print and digital to an events print and digital, and now being. Uh, well, being digital and events, but doing a lot of everything, a lot more of everything now. We've we've grown from when I would join the company, probably about I'm going to say ten to twelve people, and then even as recently as in before the pandemic, um, we were just around just under twenty. And uh, fast forward to now, we're over forty three, forty five people uh, in the company. So we've grown a lot through the pandemic, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind few years, that's for sure. Mm. And you're saying that you, um, in the beginning, it was mostly just just print, and now obviously it's like super digital. 
and you guys have a strong emphasis on sort of global and international sports versus just local and and regional what was that journey like sort of transitioning from just the print and sort of local or did you always had the company did it always have that that vision of we want to be a global sports business in that sense sure it's a good question and it, it's quite nuanced i think at the time the earlier stages there was a decision made particularly editorially that the magazine which we think at the time and for many years after was the market leader in its type, but it was a very long form magazine, thousands of word, you know, multiple thousands of word articles with interviews with big time executives and digging into their, their stories as well as their company stories. So really long form, that stuff has a long tail that could be read three or four months later and still have loads of value to the readers and targeted towards really the sea level of the industry. The, the digital side of the business then was very news focused and very much on the immediate stuff. So when it did shift to digital and there was a newsletter and all those things that you, you would think are pretty bread and butter these days, we were focused on the new, largely just the news and the features and long form content was reserved for the magazine, the premium product. And so what we had to do over time is transition both ourselves um, and our, our methods of distribution to go from long form only sitting in the magazine to shifting that to being much more prominent on the, the digital side and, and, and the, um, the, the website in particular. And so that was something we did over over the coming years, become became more and more part of the strategy. And then we started repurposing a lot more. So a lot of the features that we published in the magazine would be available on online. And so, yeah, there was a bit of a transition phase there. And the biggest challenge, I think, ultimately with those things is it's an internal thing. It's about us. You can spend a lot of time thinking about decisions and so forth, but actually the transition of a workflow when your your business operates day to day in producing content to go, we can't flick a switch overnight and just say, well, we're now going to not going to work that way anymore. You've got to change the mindsets. You've got to change the processes. Uh, and that can be quite, quite difficult. I think probably definitely more difficult than I uh, probably took for granted at the time when we were trying to do those things and shift even into events as well. And so it's something we've, we've been constantly evolving. I think if you look at any media business now over the last, say, 10 years, none of them are, stay, are the same as what they were 10 years ago. Everyone's evolving. They're adding more layers. They're repurposing. They're the, a priority in social there's a, a look towards audio and video and and all those things and no one is doing the same thing they were back then and so i think that's one thing to take away of this fast moving industry is you can never sit still you even if you want to you have a focus on where you want to get to in a few years time with what your business looks like i almost think it's a bit foolish to be too focused on that and just go you've got to sort of have the direction but be ready to roll, roll with the ebbs and flows of consumerism and the media trends and uh, and test and, and try a lot of things. And would you say that um, sort of being able to ebb and flow, being uh, responsive to the market is one of the reasons that Sports Pro is um, is as successful as it is right now? And if so, what other sort of strategies would you say have really helped Sports Pro with from the internal decision making to actually executing and really being a market leader in that sense? Uh, good, good question. I definitely think in the recent years, particularly say through the pandemic, we really had to innovate and innovate fast. When most businesses, not just in our industry, but across sports and, 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 the, and the world, largely sort of went into hibernation to try and survive this sort of COVID winter, so to speak, of, of the business, the business situation that we're all in. We decided to actually double down on that and actually, you know, not furlough anyone, not let anyone go and actually try and do more than we ever did, 
but just do it in a different place. So the physical events, we shifted to virtual. We prioritize different types of content formats. Um, and we just try to double down on shifting uh, our business's focus to being more digital uh, and providing more value to the audience. And there's, a, there's an example that's used in a lot of business uh, cases you know, through studies and so forth, which are, is the examples through the recession that Coke was, um, they did a trial one when the recession came along many, many years ago that they decided to keep advertising just the same amount while everyone else was reducing their spend. And through the other side of it, they had a greater market share just because they stayed constant while the other ones, everyone else took a, a, a back seat. And so we had a bit of that in our minds. We're like, if we keep the foot on the pedal and just innovate a bit to, to sort of navigate this challenging time and be really, I guess, proactive at ebbing and flowing, as, as, as we sort of alluded to before, then we felt pretty confident we should be okay. And actually, when we spoke to our clients, you know, our sponsors, partners, advertisers, et cetera, and said, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. This is the result. They were nine, like ninety plus percent of our partners are all you know stayed on with us through that and um, and kept working with us through that entire period, which is which is a pretty big achievement. And you know the, the the formula there wasn't too crazy. It was just that we turned our small person events, um, which are you know between fifty to a thousand people, and we shifted them to virtual. And the value to the the audiences at the time were, hey, well, you normally you get in front of an audience of this number. Well, we can give you ten to twenty x that. But in a virtual format, does that growth in virtual versus in person and with the data insight you can get on who's consuming it, does that provide more value for you? And most of them got it pretty quickly. We were fortunate, though, as a, as a media business, we had that platform of hundreds of thousands of people coming to our website every month. So we knew we had a marketing channel to, to distribute and to create a, an, a different environment or to, to offer these events that could scale to thousands of people virtually given the whole landscape and situation. So yeah, we, we, we got so part of it's lucky, part of it's the mindset of having an innovative uh, culture in the business to make sure that, hey, we don't just do what everyone else is doing. We're going to try and take a different tack and it, it sort of played out pretty well for us. I think the same question would be very interesting to ask you, Nick, about you and your career, right? I mean, you said it yourself, you came from Australia, worked a minimum wage job, and then eventually got the company to, to sponsor your visa. And now you're the CEO of Sports Pro Media. So what strategies, tools, habits, whatever you want to call it, how, how, did, that, how did you make that happen in that sense? Uh, I, I'm not sure I made it happen consciously other than I followed what I wanted to do and tried to make it happen, which sounds a bit pragmatic sounds a bit lame i guess but you know just if you have a goal and you want to do it then you have to try and focus on on doing it so um when i got the opportunity at sports pro it, the door was pretty shut as in like this was a short-term opportunity you were going to have to leave the country in 18 months and uh, they just said well come and come and let's see what happens and they weren't guaranteeing anything so you do have to take a few chances here and there like i think quite often you can have situations where I don't know. It's it's a, it can feel like a risky move to say change jobs or change countries or change friend groups or whatever it might be. But in this instance, I didn't have a lot to lose um, because the writing was on the wall that I would have to get I would get kicked out of the country. I'll get a call from uh, the Home Office at some stage uh, if I hang hung around. And I like the fit. You know, I could see where the where I could provide value to my situation at the time, and and I thought I could be good at what they needed. So sometimes you've got to back your, just back yourself and, and, trust, and trust that it's worth taking a risk every now and again to, to see what happens. Uh, in terms of how I've been, uh, how sort of my success with the, the business as a whole has come about and 
how that's felt. I, I don't know what everyone else feels like, but when I, I've been in management positions at a few different companies in my earlier stages in career, very early on, quite young. Um, and I actually, I think the older you get, the more aware you get. And so what I mean by that is actually I was more aware of the challenges that come in management and leadership roles and having to bring people along with you and and like making a decision is one thing, but then to get everyone on board and if you need to transition people's thinking, that's really tough. And I think something you can never say you're great at. It's, it's, a, it's a, a constant evolution, something you've got to work out. So I think I've just learned a lot and I ask a lot of questions. That's the other thing uh, is I ask loads of questions, particularly when I've started jobs or worked at companies. I mean, even when we started speaking before I came on, I started asking you a bunch of questions more than uh, than they didn't give you a chance to, to get a word in. But I do think uh, asking a lot of questions. I remember now that was actually my original motto that I was going to go with was to assume makes an ass out of you and me. And and, and that's something I, I actually do believe in is like it doesn't hurt to ask more questions and know the answer rather than guess it. And, and that's something I've done, you know, done a lot through, through work, you know, and, and that's what I'm talking to, to the shareholders of the company or people in the team. Just don't be afraid to ask questions or of course of people outside in the industry. Yeah. Ask a lot of questions. That's always been uh, a mandate of mine ever since I started working. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm sure on the flip side of all the sort of the success and what you've been able to accomplish, I'm sure you've made some mistakes along the line. Do you remember any kind of big mistakes or failures that have really helped you kind of change your mindset for the better or something that was that started off really bad or you thought it was bad but ended up quite good? Well, I remember early on in my career, um, your friend, when you're working in industries like the sports industry, and I'm sure it's a, the similar in other sectors, uh, contacts and friends can play a really good role in giving you an opportunity. Uh, I do remember when I was given a chance to interview with a pretty big company in, in Australia. What I thought was just catching up with someone to meet them, to connect with them, to potentially have an interview turned up. I didn't ask those simple questions like, is this actually an interview or is this just us catching up to meet each other and turning up completely unprepared, poorly dressed and all those sorts of things and, and basically screwing up my opportunity before I even got a chance. So that was that was the first moment because I was like really excited about this company. Uh, well, it was it was basically IMG, which is obviously you know one of the the big big agencies and was a pretty big player in sports in Australia then as well. And I just went, I've missed, I've give, I've screwed up on this opportunity before I even got a chance just because I didn't clarify a couple of simple questions. Um, so that's something that's always stuck with me is to, if you ever have a question mark about a situation, just ask. It does not does not hurt. Uh, other than that, you know, there's there's always situations that I've been in where it can it can revolve around you know your team and colleagues and employees about sometimes you've got to trust your your gut or your judgment and ask again ask those questions. Sometimes it might be that you're not sure if someone's happy or not, so go and ask them because if you just let it go, you might let something fester uh, that is that can actually be really treatable and solvable if it, and a simple conversation might resolve it. And I've had situations over time where perhaps I, I didn't jump on something immediately and it either became a bigger problem than it needed to be or, um, you know, particularly in this virtual hybrid world we live in and work in today, in work environments, you need to, I, I tell the team, the manager, you need to over-communicate because it's it's too easy for things to go under the radar when you're not around each other 24-7 or 9 to 5, depending on what your work environment's like. So yeah, there's a, there's a few things I've definitely learned and they're more sort of a description of them than specific instances but I, hopefully that makes sense yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and uh 
I'm very guilty of sometimes, you know, well-meaning, because I think sometimes we're very well-meaning, so we don't ask certain things. We don't say maybe if you say something to me right now, Nick, and I go, hmm, question mark, I don't know how I feel about that. Instead of asking you to clarify, I go, I'm, I dismiss it or something. And then it keeps on happening, keeps on happening. And then eventually I'm like, okay, I can't with Nick anymore, right? So I'm yeah. very guilty of not asking questions when they pop up. And so this one I'll take personally for myself to sort of keep myself in check and kind of be like, no, just just ask instead of overthinking it, just ask. You've got my my seal of approval. That's that's for sure. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now onto the topic of sports. You mentioned that you have a degree, your education in sports management. I'm just kind of curious as to the extent of like how much. I mean, maybe self-explanatory, but how much you like sports and what your introduction to sports was. Yeah, sure. So living in Australia, the culture around sports is is pretty crazy. And when I was growing up there really wasn't a choice you you were a sports fan you kind of, and this might have been just the environment i was around but australia is known to be pretty sports crazy and it really didn't feel like i had any other choice i was around sports all my life um my, fa- my family had a lot of you know prowess in sports and i wasn't i was not that good at sports enough to have possibly build a career playing it but like the idea of being in the business of it and couldn't really think of even get, going into any other areas so, so yeah the, the going into the sports um, management. I had a business degree in managing and sports management. Felt like a bit of a no-brainer at, at the time, and have been around pretty much sports sports my, my whole life as a, as a result of that. But in Australia, what's interesting I think about Australia is you have a more of a democratization of what sports are big. You know, in Europe, for example, and, and a lot of the world, excluding say the US, football is everything. Um, and then there's football sits in its own tier, and then everything else sort of sits underneath. Whereas in in Australia, there's probably like three three sports that sit in that top top tier. But then there's a few other sports that sit pretty close to it as well. They're both lucrative and and commercially solid um, for a market that's only 20, 25 million people. So Australia's always been, I think, quite ahead of like pound for pound or uh, of its size, really front uh, sort of front and center of what the industry needs to be following and watching. So. I've always been really impressed looking back and even now since I've lived in the UK to see what Australian businesses are doing, that quite often they are pretty, they're market leading right up there with say the US, which is normally considered five to 10 years ahead. So yeah, I've been immersed in and around sports. Uh, I've coached as well. I've played a bit of uh, through volleyball um, and played a whole bunch of sports at a mediocre level, but not not a great level. Um, so I've been around it a long time. Um, so I only felt really natural to have a career in sports and and actually in media is sort of i'm in the sports and media business um even my my mum used to work in the media game in australia so i was around it from from early early age even doing even doing voiceovers for for uh tv ads in our regional network in australia for my mum's advertising business uh, that she was working on so uh, i've been around the media and sports game for a long long time probably even longer than 20 years that we talked about earlier on very very nice and i mean when you think about the the sports industry um we'll talk we'll talk a little bit more about about the media side of things uh, a bit later but when you think about the sports industry as it is today either globally or locally um, it's up to you what excites you the most about the sports industry today what excites me the most good question i would say i still feel like sports is only scratching the surface of 
being really well operated and doing everything it can to provide value to the community. In many instances, I've said over the years to people, which sounds quite negative, and it is a bit of a negative comment, but it's sports is, has been successful in spite of itself, not because of itself. And what I mean by that is that sports is successful commercially in, in certain instances because it's sports. It's But it's not because sports has necessarily done all these really smart commercial moves to make it work. It's just because it has such an amazing passion point within the majority of society. Um, but it's got more and more challenges ahead of it with regards to how it fights for people's time because of proliferation of social media, um, because of gaming and esports and all those other things that are taking up that sort of time spot of, of entertainment uh, as become digital world. But um, my, my point is that I still think sports has lots of opportunity to continue to provide huge value um, to the, to society um, as, it, you know, for example, in, in various parts of the world, most of the world, we're more overweight than we used to be. We're less active than we used to be. And sports can play a huge role in fostering an environment or a mindset that being active is healthy and good for you in more ways than more ways than one. And, and so that I still think is a, is a big opportunity for sports ahead of itself. But it's got a lot of challenges to play that role because of this tension between the sort of what people want at a community level and what's trying to happen at the, at the commercial level. There's a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of different stakeholders wanting different things and results. Um, and that makes it difficult to perhaps fulfill some of those goals that I think it could, could achieve um, for the better of society as a whole. And speaking of the better of society as a whole, something that I'm very excited about is the Sports Pro Media New Era program. Um, I was going to describe it a little bit, but maybe, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what it is, and then I can talk about why I'm excited about it. Sure. Well, look, the New Era program, um, it's its a kind of a, an annual year-long thing that we're, we're looking to do, which is basically to create a new, what we call a new era of female leaders in the sports industry. Um, you know, what we recognize over time, that Sports Pro has a pretty, pretty incredible audience, an incredible group of people that we connect with in different ways, shapes and forms um, all year round, both at the senior level, but in particularly in through the entire ecosystem. But what we, we're also aware of that there is a bit of a, a pretty crazy gap between, um, in short, the, the, the amount of female leaders that exist in the industry. And that's, that's for a few reasons, which we can dig into in, in a second. But we wanted to see what we could do to tackle it. We thought we were in a good place to help the ratio improve in this industry and become more of a diverse business rather than run by 60-something old males, which is most most of the senior leadership um, leaders within sports across the world and international federations consist of a pretty similar demographic. And we don't think that helps. And I think we think if we're able to foster that through programs like New Era, that should translate more widely across the entire industry. Now, what it's really trying to solve is I think there's problems at all sort of different layers. Are people looking for this one silver bullet to say solve the the dynamic, the mix? And I'm not sure what the ratio is, but there's examples of um, there's a bunch of examples of things that people are trying. Um, but we believe there's problems at both from bottom up and top down. So at the bottom up, we there's there's a lack of uh, there's a lack of interest in coming into the sports industry for women relative to the, say the the fifty fifty mix that you would you would hope or expect. And there's multiple reasons why that that is the case. And equally at the top end, there's a lack of um, there's a lack of equality at the split in the boardroom or in senior leadership positions. 
that needs to be addressed. But if we've got a lack of opportunity and a lack of interest, it doesn't make it an easy thing to solve. Now, so problem we think that if we can present the stories um, of incredible female leaders in the industry and present that to the wider wider world, not just the sports industry, existing people, people who are aspiring to be in sports, then we think those stories can help people get a sense of, hey, that could be me too. Whereas otherwise, they won't even see that. All they'll see is the 60-year-old white man uh, on, on standing on a stage at an international federation event and go, well, that's not me. That doesn't. This sport doesn't associate with me. Uh, I feel disconnected from what they're trying to do. Uh, so I'm not sure I describe it well, but that's kind of like the macro objective is we want to create a whole environment where we're telling the stories of these senior senior execs and these senior execs are so excited about this we've got an incredible steering group of, of senior leaders in the industry and they're they're really excited about what they can do to help uh, foster that that sort of environment but equally there's some incredible women in the industry that actually aren't getting the profile and the notoriety they do deserve because they maybe don't shout the loudest or or aren't aren't being proactive at say pushing out their personal brand they're doing a great job um which is which is something that so we want to take a further proactive approach to go hey we want to make sure these people are the industry is more aware of these these stories because we believe that if we tell these stories it will have an impact at sort of the whole let's call it the whole the whole i don't want to use the term like a like sales and marketing funnel but like the whole funnel of of people coming into the industry build up the pool of people who are interested in working in sports and and people who are females who want to work in the sports industry because they see that there's some inspiring people who they can be like to and connect with as well and that's why i'm absolutely excited about the program if i'm going to be honest and uh i am part of the program i was part of uh, the 12 that got chosen so i'm really really excited so as part of the pro program i was able to meet um, a couple of mentors and uh so these are some quite prominent women within the sports industry that have done incredible things where we get to sit down with each one of them for an hour and just have a conversation and one of the things that they always ask is so what would you how would you like me to not to help you but what would you like to get out of this and the thing that i always say is literally what you just spoke about the fact that I come from uh, Botswana and I'm I'm very proud of where I'm from, but I did grow up with limited exposure. So I don't know, I you only know something is possible if you've seen it before, right? Unless you're like the daring type. And I, I was always kind of cautious, like needing to see it first in, in order for me to then aspire to it. And that's what I say to them. I'm like, if you tell me your story, I'm able to then see all the different possibilities and all the things that I can do as well, all the things that are available to me and all the things that are within my power when it comes to how I want to shape my career in that sense. And so I think that's a very, very important thing where that representation, that seeing yourself being reflected is so, so important. And so I'm really excited to see what the year holds for not just the program itself and me but just for everyone else like because this another class is going to come next year right so it can only get better from here really i think yeah absolutely it's i mean it's an annual program as you you've alluded to there and and i think just that storytelling bit does make such a difference you know i remember speaking to um who's now the ex-commissioner of the nwsl uh, lisa baird who was also cmo at i think pepsi previously if i remember correctly and I asked, I asked her about her trajectory and, and and her story about how she got into her roles. And what she said was 
quite surprising is that she felt no challenge or no issues with being a female in the industry in her journey. And then others I've spoken to have said they had to they had to become a bulldog. They had to fight their way through. They had to become a different persona to compete with those uh, personalities in in different um, environments where they wouldn't have had a chance unless they really became an almost another or alter ego to to try and be, um, stand out from the crowd, so to speak. So again, hearing those different stories, you can start to get a sense of, okay, do I have to do it one way or is there an own way? And I think I always feel that just generally doing it your way, doing it the way that suits you is going to be ultimately the best way to be successful long longer term. Uh, and so hopefully these stories that, that, you know, these incredible female leaders are going to be presenting and sharing in both mentor groups with people like yourself, but also with the wider industry and what our program will be, will be uh, showcasing will allow people to understand that there isn't just you know, one model, one type of person. Everyone can really be, be successful um, if given the opportunity and if really driven to, to do it. Um, so yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, it's something that we are really focused on. You know, in every single conference we run, we are laser focused on like, how do we make sure our audiences and our delegates and our speakers are all uh, as diverse as we possibly can be. Some in industries, it's really difficult. Others are much easier because it is a more balanced environment. So it's something we are looking at all the time because we think the industry the ind there's a real appetite in the industry to to make change and i think that's really important it's not everyone's not just it's not fighting against a brick wall here but because i said it's, there's no silver bullet here there's no one solution we've all got to do a little bit to try and make it make headway in this space and i think the growth of women's professional sports is is now becoming firmly part of the conversation uh, and that in itself will be another reason why i think you'll start to see more appetite particularly at the bottom end for people who want to enter the sports industry because they are able to see and get excited about women's sports as a whole. I think that will filter down through the business side um, in the not too distant future. Absolutely. And I think it ties back to what you said earlier about the what the what sports serves at a community level and the commercial side of things. And I think that women's sports is a very good example of how you can sort of strive to get the balance between the two, right? Because I mean traditionally I mean, and still today, most investment will go to men's sports, right? It, I think it's about like 0.4% of all investment, but these are probably old statistics now. But whatever the improvement, it's probably nowhere near like 5% or something like that. And um, just seeing that you can have that appetite for the community side of things of just we all want an equal opportunity to be within this beloved industry and to be active, but also the we can bring money as well, right? So realizing that it's not that you have to sacrifice one for the other but you can actually find that balance and really keep on pushing the envelope in, in those two areas and i think women's sports is a is a perfect example of of this completely i would just add that you're absolutely spot on and what i'm hearing and seeing is a lot of uh, say like consultancy businesses like there's businesses like two circles which are uh, you know a, a data um, management consultancy business in sports I know that most of their business right now is coming from sports properties looking at women's sports and they are, you know, they're growing substantially in their business, but all of the major sports properties are doubling down their investment of time and resource into working out how they grow the games or grow the sport uh, and the, and, and the women's side of the game. So it's definitely a priority for a lot of sports properties. It will take, take some time, but movement is happening and there are, things like big brands that are getting on board and there's broadcasters getting on board. And whilst the immediate 
ROI might not be measured in the same way. Uh, I think they're all really excited about the growth. You know, we we had um, Sky Sports speak at our latest, latest event in the UK sports broadcaster about the Women's Super Leagues, the WSL, and they've had 70% growth in their audiences year on year. And uh, I think it's something like 170 for over the two years. So they've had huge growth in their audience year on year because the appetite is growing substantially. And what's really interesting, I think, in women's sports is that some of the data they they looked at showed the majority of audiences uh, for the live sports and the highlights were, were male still. So even women's sports properties, uh, even netball, which is, you know, it's a largely considered women's sport, most of the audiences that they're seeing across digital channels are still still male, which shows, again, a huge amount of opportunity to try and get that balance to make to become more attractive to women to watch the sports um, themselves. What it was on a contrast was anything around the behind the scenes content. So your equivalent of your like um, documentary series, Draft to Survive, that sort of stuff. But for the WSL, was something like 85% female to 15% male. So it shows that there is a real appetite and interest from women to understand the sports and the journeys of the athletes that are, that are playing and involved with the sports. So I don't think it will take too long to continue to see with this rapid growth turn into even more lucrative situation, a much more lucrative situation for women's sport. But it's going to take time still to get to anywhere near a, a scale that I think we can say that uh, it's tr- being treated the right, you know, treated empirically or in the right way. A hundred percent. But outside of, um, say, the new era program, um, what exciting things are ahead for sports pro media in the next coming months? The industry is moving so fast and um, we really focus on things around transformation um, and innovation across the, the content we do. So we publish uh, something like 60 or 70 news stories every week. We're publishing, I think it's at least five to 10 features a week. And we have all these events we run in, in markets like uh, Spain, Singapore, Switzerland, US and Australia. So lots of things going on all the time and everything's just moving so fast. So for us, because there's never a dull day, it's just cool to be around this industry and sort of follow what's going on. Um, so we'll be, we've got events coming up in in New York. We've got our biggest event, um, Sports for Alive, happening in April, uh, which I think a, a few of your colleagues at least went to uh, last year, if I remember correctly. But yeah, on a day-to-day perspective, we're going to continue to grow. We've got another four or five people expected to join over the next few months. Um, we're doubling down on producing more and more content around these spaces. So as long as the industry is as exciting as it is, it'll make our jobs and lives pretty interesting and exciting as well. Never a dull day in this industry, that's for sure. Yeah, we've got an, an exciting uh, few months coming up and uh, I look forward to, to meet you in person at one of the events. But finally, Nick, uh, if you could give anyone listening today advice on how they can build a career that they can be proud of within the sports industry, what would that be? This might not be new, but relationships really do do matter and contacts matter. You know, there's a there's a lot of people who want to start in the sports industry. There's a lot of people looking for opportunities. So you have to be really active at building relationships. And those relationships don't necessarily need to be built with a direct intent into being something, but to build your network and your network these days can just be through digital. Events are the best place to meet as many people as you can. So the way, what I liken it to is that you build a relationship enough that you can send someone a WhatsApp. You know, that, that if you can create a relationship, that's enough to say, hey, hey, Lorraine, what do you think about this? Rather than having to write a formal email just to, to find some time in your diary to chat about these things. You need as many of those people across the sports industry as possible. The more you have, the more likely, whether it's business opportunities, whether it's your next career opportunity, you will have a way of finding that. 
outside of the traditional the traditional models which can be quite quite a grind so contacts building relationships even if those relationships aren't necessary with a specific goal just you never know when you can lean on that relationship uh, at some point in your in your your career in your life etc so that would be something i just i really emphasize you can't and relationships don't have to be you know it's not like dating it's just like can you connect with someone so you become a person you don't become a name online you don't become an email just a, a subject line in an email so you become a person. So when they reach out to you, they feel obliged to get back to you if you ask them something. So yeah, relationships through and through, particularly in the sports industry. The sports industry is much smaller than I think people realize to take for granted for because the money that we talk about, the scale, the dollars are insane. But actually, it all sits with a handful of organizations and actually gets quite narrow pretty quickly. So relationships really matter. It makes me think of what you said at the beginning, like you thought it was a catch-up, but uh, but it was actually a job interview. So build the relationship, exactly. but also make sure that you know. You're always in a situation which might lead to something. So uh, always be a little bit aware. Don't be as naive as I was uh, back then. 100%. I mean, Nick, I could speak to you all day, honestly. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really have enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Likewise, Lorraine. Great to, great to chat with you. And uh, thank you for having me. If your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.sc and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.